A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. We have a lull between the races as we head off into a triple header at Imola, Monaco, and Barcelona. The whole season could be flipped on its head. So do you want us to talk about potential upgrades and uh, the order that could be unfolding in front of us? No, you lunatics have told me based on our last race review, that you would like us to go in-depth into tyres. So today we will have an extended tyre segment with Matt Trumpets, and we're also going to have Callum McIntyre from Driver61 talking to us about how you can change your sim racing skills and convert them onto the real-world tracks. Plus, we're also going to cover some Formula One news. But first, I want to tell you that we are an independent podcast Produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. And here's your panel, Matt Two Rumpets. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Are those side pods I see in the distance? No. Mercedes, I think, even tweeted the, uh, a side pod picture. And I, I went, hallelujah, finally, Mercedes are going to have some side pods. But it turns out it was a, a photo from the F1 2023 game. Oh, those teasers know exactly what they're doing. Although, to be fair, it's not really the side pods that are the problem. And we're joined by a special guest from Driver61. It's Callum McIntyre. How's it going, Callum? Hey, Spanners. I always feel sad when Top Gear cut off one of James May's rants. And I feel exactly the same way when you cut off Matt talking about tyres. So I'm glad to be talking about it today. Yes. And so on the race review, right, I, I will defend myself a little bit because people go, oh, let Matt go on and on about tyres. But on a race review, I feel like the tyres, yes, they're an engineering product, but they're a tool. So when it comes to the race, it's all about how the drivers use that tool, how the teams use that tool. 
and I suppose how the strategists use that tool. I don't want to get into manufacturing techniques or any kind of philosophical debate about the place of tyres in Formula One when what I really want to do is play whose fault is it and and talk about Fernando Alonso and Taylor Swift. Uh, which sadly, I don't think my daughter cited at the concert. Yeah, I think it might have been a very successful PR exercise, but something of a lie. But look, uh, what we're going to do is we are going to have that extended tyre segment and uh, and I have some learning points because I'm definitely outclassed by the expertise of uh, my two panellists today. And then we're going to get into what Callum has done, which is something incredible, which has turned, and I hope this isn't offensive, Callum, some fairly middle-of-the-road, mediocre sim skills on a mm-hmm. not-too-dissimilar level that I'm at and turned that into a real-world, actually pretty impressive performance in a real-world series. So we're going to get into that, but not until we've dived into a little bit of the Big Dirty News. Big Dirty News. Rumours abound about Daniel Ricciardo getting a seat fitting at AlphaTauri. And this comes off the back of some disappointing results and performances from the AlphaTauri rookie, Nick DeFries, who is making a bit of a name for himself at the moment for being you know, a little bit prone to using drivers and walls as his brake. And it's not looked good. And what we said in the last race review was what we need from Nick DeFries is to not hear anything from him at all. For the next few races, he needs to be anonymous, do the solid work, get through some Grand Prix without being a headline name. And it turns out, Matt, that Helmut Marco agrees and has said that he's, he's, he was actually quite severe, has said that, you know, we really need to see results within the next three or four races. Uh, well, he has allegedly said these things. And you would think uh, that after the... Um PR win that was Pierre Gasly and then Alex Albin being kicked out of Red Bull, that perhaps they would give their brand new junior driver more than four races to be as good as the driver that's been there for a couple of years. But no, apparently not. Wait Although to be fair, yeah. I, th- I go ahead. No, no, please carry on. I think DeVries probably would agree that he needs to be doing a better job but I'm not sure that telling him his time is limited is really going to be helpful in any larger sense to his performance. They are absolutely brutal at Red Bull. And you listed you listed Albon, you listed Gasly, and uh, the sirens are coming to get you, it looks like, Matt. You are, you are very much under arrest at this point for pointing out the brutal junior driver program. But we could easily as well say uh, Boemi, we could say Al Shwari, we could say Scott Speed. Yeah. Uh, Hartley, all of whom have come in. Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John John Eric Vern. Yeah, Yeah, who've all been invited to come in, take their shot, and then been, you know, pushed by the wayside. But on the counter to that, you look at their driver program, and and who has it yielded? Max Verstappen, Sebastian Vettel. And to be honest, Callum, as much as people get upset at how people, how they churn over young drivers, yeah, this is the top level of single-seater racing. I feel like the whole field would be stronger if every you know driver academy was as brutal as the Red Bull Academy? I mean, you can't, yeah, exactly like you said, you can't argue with the results, can you? And even Sonoda had a, a little bit of a, a, t- a tough start, but you've got to say his, his performance this season has been really very good. Um, and so De Vries has had a lot to, you know, to put up against that. But if you look at, you know, the first four races, it's, you know, it's not looking good, is it, with 
you know, 14th, 14th, DNF, DNF, and then 18th yeah. in Miami. It's it's not good enough, really, is it, for that seat? Well, the thing is, those results like that, like, statistically, they look bad, but it's also hit wall, hit Norris, hit wall. You know, and again, like, even throughout the practice sessions, he's not looked comfortable at any point. And, you know, he's come from Formula E, done very well there. It's not the street circuits themselves. It, it feels almost like it's um, it's just pressure and it's moments of a lapse of concentration or moments of just being too far on the edge of going, I need to break it the last minute. I need that last centimeter. And it's gone wrong. Matt. Well, it has. But I, I want to say, like, you, you bring up Tsunoda. Like, I didn't go back and look, but my memory is, like, I don't think he did much better than DeVries, his first four races in Alpha Tauri. And I will say without exception, the car they have this season is probably a lot worse than the one that Tsunoda inherited when he first walked into the team. Callum. I, I would say that Tsunoda... He he had a he had a bit of a vibe about him, particularly in his the start of his first season. He was he was very racy, um, like that. You know, was was it his first race in Bahrain where he had that great battle with Alonso? And <laughs> there was a a bit of a different vibe to it than there is with De Vries, and particularly that that shunt in Miami where he hit Norris, like that. You know, he he's a driver that's come from Formula E, super close racing, also sports cars, where yeah. you know you're going to be in these huge packs of cars at the start of a race. Then to be breaking at the very last minute and rear-ending Norris, it doesn't look good, does it? Matt? Well, but again, what are we talking about? The beginning of the race. I mean, in Australia, at the race restart, did we not see Gasly heaving off the circuit and a huge cloud of smoke and causing all sorts of carnage? And he's got way more experience. Yeah. Full tanks, cold tires, and no practice at that for DeVries. And 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 uh, half the time on circuits that he hasn't even raced on F2. And even when he's raced there, how long has it been since he did those races? I mean, he's at a severe experiential yeah. disadvantage, even relative to Sonoda when he came into the team. He's in a car that is notably, uh, what, finicky in terms of its performance. And weren't they even having brake problems at Miami anyway? Throughout, or was that a different team? I mean, multiple teams have had break problems, but uh, Christopher Fonseca yeah. in our live patron chat says that Red Bull are the Taylor Swift of of F one teams, and Mark continues that with saying casually cruel in the name of being honest. Uh, but the difference, I think, is is like Gasly has a reputation behind him already, so a little bit of a difficult start to the season. Uh, where did he crash? I think he he, he had a little bit of a, a shunt in Saudi, and then hit his teammate. Obviously, oh no, he hit his teammate in Australia. And then had a, a difficult uh, time at, at Baku. Okay, you can forgive that because he's got a kind of CV behind him. It feels like the drivers who've who've come in come in with an enthusiasm, like Sonoda getting very racy in his first race. Logan Sargent actually in in Bahrain immediately off the line looked incredible. But then there comes a point where you have to maybe rein that in because since then Logan Sargent has looked you know a little bit less predictable. So maybe they come in with like, yeah, I've got to make the best of this opportunity hit a couple of cars, hit a couple of walls, and they need to bring it back. Well, yeah. And I know we're going to talk to uh, Callum uh, later about the transition from sim mm. to real life racing. But in a way, this is what all of these junior drivers are having to go through. They have very little to no time to master these finer intricacies that make them competitive. And while you might get to the end or through two thirds or three quarters of a season and be able to look at the data from a driver and say, like, yeah, you're just not you are not going to be the one for this team. I yeah. think that's fair. 
after four races, it's just bonkers. And what's even more bonkers about it and what really made me old man yelling at clouds <laughs> on my lawn, get off, please, kind of ranty, was everyone going, well, well, Ricardo's getting a seat fitting. He's going to drive for Alphatari in Barcelona. <laughs> Yay. And like, what kind of nonsense is that? Because they have, uh, I believe, Liam Lawson and Ayuma Iwasu, who are both m up in the queue for uh, that Alphatari mm. seat before Ricardo would be. But the genius of Ricardo is he's a very known factor and a very experienced driver. What he's going to be able to do is give Alpha Tauri a decent benchmark for their two younger drivers and possibly some telemetry so where they can learn a few things and Ooh. be more competitive. Oh, quick thing. So I don't know whether it's true that uh, Ricardo had a seat fitting or not. To me, if uh, you think it's true. Oh, no, it is true. Oh, it's true. Okay, well, to me, that makes perfect sense because even though you've got Lawson and, and other drivers lined up, they have other commitments in racing series. So the, the time that you might want to replace him might be when none of those are available. And all Daniel Ricciardo at the moment is doing is, is doing TikToks and PR. So there might come a time where you just go, we cannot afford another crash at AlphaTauri. Sorry, Nick, you're done. Uh, yes, we have a long-term plan with Lawson. But Ricardo, come in and do a job. So like Ben Foster at Wrexham, you just go, come on then. Come on. I know this is not the level you want to be at, but come here, do a job. Show us how it's supposed to be done. And that, that, that also will come with risks with Ricardo as well, because Ricardo will have to get into the car and immediately be better than Sonoda, or his reputation is toast. I'm sure we could see the same thing flip-flopping back. You know, Ricardo right now is not a proven entity with this. You know, like he's, you know, an unbelievable driver, but has had a shaky time recently. There's nothing to say that him hopping in that car would, would improve no. things. And if let's say he he hops in that car has another four races we could be looking at a similar situation i would i would be surprised if he sat there as a third driver without a seat ready to go in both of those cars you would expect if there's you know a driver gets ill like that we saw a couple of times in the past few seasons yeah, yeah, you'd yeah. want to slap a seat in there and get going straight away so the the seat isn't I don't think really says anything. I I think it's one of those things where people want to believe it because they like Ricardo. He's a very likable so guy, likeable, and they yeah. they also like to see change. You know, no matter who the driver is, you'd always rather have big drama and a swap um, than things be as they are. You know, with De Vries down the back. So I, I think it's one of those things people want to believe it, and also there's some slight clues that it might be happening that mean everyone says it's a dead cert when I'm not sure it is. Uh, this is very much Alonzo and Taylor Swift territory again, isn't it, Callum? <laughs> Absolutely. That's good. Uh, right. I, yeah. I, well, look, I, I, this is where I, I think my idea that I, I, I successfully got across a couple of months ago that nobody paid attention to is the fact that we do need a, a Division 2 in Formula 1. So the, the thing is, you get a driver even from F2 into Formula 1, they are effectively changing sports. So, yes, a lot of the skills are the same, but it's like moving a driver from, I'm going to get this wrong, but you know, it's like moving a driver from, uh, from rugby to American football. It's all this, you catch the ball, you run with it, you throw it, you get in a big scrum and cuddle your buddies. I don't really understand rugby or American football, but it's such a different discipline. Why not have this Formula 1.5 where you have teams, privateer teams, battling with slightly more of a spec series, and then you've got drivers in there who are essentially driving the same sport. What's weird is that you have the pinnacle of a sport with only 20 places and drivers are expected to come in and be given a bedding in period. Like somehow 
there's some, uh, I think it was David Coulthard who said Formula One isn't a finishing school, but it is treated like that. So you get a driver come in with a kind of baked in fan base and they go, everyone's, ch- people are willing on the new entity like Lawson, you know, with an American fan base or Nick DeFries, people who've watched him in other motorsport series. And, and they're hoping that Red Bull will give them a little bit of time to get bedded in when really at the pinnacle of motorsport, they should, they should be coming in cookie cutter, ready to go, Matt. And I don't have any sympathy, really, for drivers that, that come in and, and fail and get replaced because the sport should have enough depth of talent that, yes, Scott Speed gets replaced. Al Bishwari is at risk if he doesn't, wow. You know, Kvyat gets his shot, takes out the world champion a couple of times. Uh, Sochi, was it ping pong? You know, that, that, the top level of sport is brutal. If it's one of 20 places and you don't make the cut in five, six, seven, eight Grand Prix, which is what Marco seems prepared to give to freeze it's fair enough you get replaced that is sport uh, well yeah if you don't do the job you do get replaced on the other hand if you invest a lot of money in a brand new driver that you think has potential and you drop them after three or four races well then i say that's less on the driver and a lot more on the organization for for making bad choices to begin with yeah, so see, the, yeah. the issue is and with all due respect to uh, your scheme... Doesn't sound like you're going to be respectful. That <laughs> sounds like something you'd say and then be mean about it. Uh, I, I, I was... I was um, after my recent visit, uh, my wife was remarking on how the Brits tend to use schemes slightly differently than we do here in America. Yeah. And I was taking advantage oh, of okay, that. Okay. You're learning how that to was. defeat us. Okay, go on. Um, is that it would cost too much money to have a car that was that close to how a Formula One car drives. If you look at the number of controls and the amount of, of uh, custom computer software needed to run a car like that, you can't really recreate okay. that at okay. the F2 level, which is already kind of too expensive for what you'd want it to be anyway. So, yeah, I'm not sure how the two things you said, Spanners, add up, <laughs> like in that there's a big jump between F2 and F1. Yeah. Yes, there yes, is. There but is. We've seen it over and over again where the great drivers seem to manage it straight away. Yeah. Like Lewis Hamilton was on the podium in his first race. There you go. And so so there's that. And then there's, <laughs> I, I don't know. And then there's the argument of that we should be cutthroat after five races. Drivers should be out. We should be cycling through all of the depth of talent that we have and trying them all out and seeing seeing how things go. I'm not how, sure how those two things stack up. <laughs> I, if you were to make a Formula 1.5, I wonder what the viewing figures would be and if they would pay for cars of that level. Yeah. And so I, it, I think F2 is doing quite a good job of being that that series that has the next step up. I think IndyCar also is, but that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I don't know. I don't know why. Those two <laughs> things seem to oppose each other in, in my eyes. Oh, by the way, just as a quick sub note before we move on, there's been a lot of talk at the moment with the couple of pretty... They, are, they were pretty boring F1 races in Baku and Miami. and But I don't care as an F1 fan. I know there's going to be boring F1 races. I don't care. A lot of people are going, yeah, well, Indy does this. IndyCar does that. I'm like, great. Also watch IndyCar. Like, you should watch a, 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 a suite, a buffet of motorsport. And if you prefer a spec series like IndyCar or, or, or closer to spec series like IndyCar, go and watch that. Go and watch Touring Cars. There's loads of of racing that doesn't do things the way that Formula One does things, and if you prefer that, definitely watch that. There's there's no rules like it's not it's not bad. If you look at a motorsport and you go, oh, I actually I prefer watching um, Caterham racing on Channel Four over Formula One, then watch that. Enjoy what you enjoy. It's not a competition. 
And the quickly before we get onto the tire chat, Matt, let's see if we can do few a few minutes on the expected upgrades. So I make no secret of the fact that I am a, a Lewis Hamilton fan, and kind of by default, I have become over the years a Mercedes fan, mostly because they seem nice. Like who's, who's the who, who went who went over? James Vowles went over to Williams. You listen yeah. to him talking; he just seems really nice. Shovelin just seems. Like you just know, like you would, you'd leave your kids with shoveling. He seems nice as well. Total Wolf, firm but fair. They just seem like a nice family. They, yes, they get angry. Yes, he, you don't want to leave. You don't want to lend Toto Wolf your desk. That's not going to happen. But they've always come across as a nice team, going about things the right way, even under the biggest of pressures. So I'm, I'm a fan of Lewis Hamilton. I'm a fan of uh, of Mercedes, and I'm happy to declare that when I look at the the upgrades coming up and framing my expectations for what's coming up ahead. Callum, we don't know your your loyalties. Please tell me you're not a Chris Stevens and that you're going to sit here and go, oh, I just hope everyone has fun. Who are you a fan of in F1? I I like the racy drivers. Um, <laughs> nice. And so I yeah. am a Max Verstappen apologist. <laughs> um, and I also like, you know, Norris, Magnussen, th- those... Those who give us great racing, yeah. and yeah, yeah, I yeah. also, I also like that Max Verstappen is in the sim every week, and I can also oh, watch those races. Oh my goodness! Like the, he, that is such a different Max Verstappen. If you watch the live streams that he has on, and he just has it like at home with like his, you know, with his family in and around and everything, and and he's just chatting to his mates. That's not. I like that Max Verstappen. Like, why aren't you just normal and nice like that? And I, I'm suspecting, Callum, that as someone who is, you could, you could frame me as someone who's not a fan of Max Verstappen fairly but i think the more it goes on matt's laughing that's an understatement. understatement but the more it goes on the more i think that it's the people around him that i don't like and then you look at his like live streams you go that lad he, we share a lot of values like he just he loves racing when he enters a sim event minimum he puts in 50 hours practice to do a like an iRacing mm. tournament and so when people were having a go at him for kicking off at that i think it was an r factor tournament was it r factor yeah. lemon where they were having loads of cutouts and stuff and drops yeah, it's because he put fifty hours like work into it. I wish we could see more of that side of Max. And he's he's rocked up, and he was the best that weekend. And so it's fair enough that that was the issue. He was at Nurburgring this weekend, and there was a great move where he stuck two wheels on the grass. Oh, I saw the that outside, one. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. like you know, I like that he races the same way in the sim as he does in in the real world. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, and actually, in that you could see his spotter, so his teammate was like head in his hands, like like Max, why are you overtaking? You know, at the Nurburgring. Uh, um, on the grass and i know that corner as well because it's a real flowing left-hander and if you get that wrong you're in the wall before you even get to the hairpin um yeah it's a delight actually i would say to people who don't like max verstappen go and tune into to to his Mm. live streams and that kind of streaming content he does but there we go so people are saying oh we don't get max verstappen fans on there we go matt we did it once and i think that's it now uh, so far, so good. <laughs> so far, so good. I mean, he hasn't set fire to the shed yet, so we'll see. But so from an upgrade point of view, no offense to you, Callum, and your fan base, but I am, I'm hoping for a, a ridiculously unobtainable Mercedes upgrade where they just gain a second a lap on race pace. And I'm a bit upset at the Mercedes management because they're being super cagey about how good this upgrade is going to be. It's almost like they're saying, yeah, in the sim, we're going to gain eight seconds and win this championship. But you know, it's you know who who's to who's to tell how it translates onto the track. Well, you you're the ones really good at making race cars. So Matt, how high should my hopes be? 
your hopes should be reasonably high that you will see improved performance, not necessarily at the first race, but over the course of the next four or five races, Mercedes will be doing better than they would have been without this update. Now, the reason they are being so cagey about it is because the thing that has really plagued them more than anything else is they have struggled to adequately model both in CFD, but I think especially in the wind tunnel, the issues their car is having. So they can look at it in a simulation and say, well, yes, this update is bringing us, like this new updated car concept should bring us four to six tenths a lap before we optimize it. And that's genius. And then they can say, we put it in the wind tunnel and it gave us that. And they're like, okay, we're ready to go. And then they're going to say, well, yeah, that's what we said at the start of last season too with our zero pod concept. And look what happened to that. I think ground effect is particularly challenging for certain wind tunnels due to the size and the way the road itself works. It's very hard to model because you get issues with boundary layers and the size of the walls. And especially when you're in yaw, it can be difficult to get the numbers, the correct numbers. And the only real test is on track. And that's what we're going to see at Imola from whatever it is Mercedes is going to bring. And I'm just going to say it one more time. Everybody wants to know about the side pods. Side pods weren't really ever the problem. I want side pods. Callum, did you follow any of that? Because when Matt goes off like that, and I hear, like, when I hear hear three words in a row that I don't understand, I kind of go, oh, I can take a break. (laughs) (laughs) I was there like Matt, talk about the road surface, talk about the road surface. And you did. So um, I I spoke to, very quickly, I spoke to Willem Toet a while back. He ex-Sauber engineer, Benetton engineer. um, And he was, he raised concerns. Again, all of this is, is from his speculation but that Mercedes run a smooth belt on their on their wind tunnel, and so you you it behaves a little bit differently to tarmac. Most of the other uh-huh. um, wind tunnels run like a rubberized belt, so that you have air flowing over it, similarly to the tarmac you have in the real world. Oh wow! Um, and so, but Mercedes said, "Hey, we've got this. We've got this way of calculating it, and and so things are more repeatable with the smooth belt. But then we can work it out, you know, as if it's road later with math. Yes, yes, and so." Willem said I, he had a concern about that being part of the issue then when they're trying to figure out their numbers for ground effect. And like you said, especially in your when you're going through a corner. Um, and so, again, that's just a little bit of info that I had on that. And I, I think that might, I mean, it adds up in my head. That could be the case. Um, so let's hope they, again, I want to see great racing. I want to see great racing at the front. So let's hope they, they drag things forward. Uh, Yeah, let's hope so. And let's hope that they have figured out what I would affectionately call the fudge factor for their wind tunnel. Because as they gather more data from the track, what they do is they bring it back and look at what the CFD predicted. They look at what the wind tunnel told them, and then they look what the actual numbers are, and they continue to adjust that. So it may be the case that they are getting better, um, I'll use the word resolution here, from the numbers. But the, the issues are really at the margins. When I'm doing 340 kilometers, when I'm breaking into that turn at that speed, they're just not getting enough resolution to know what the car is doing. And as a result, they can be surprised on track. And when they are, it's problematic. Okay, so are we looking at like a, a, a window where if their simulations and their wind tunnel stuff is good, it, we genuinely can be excited. If it doesn't quite correlate, then it might fall short. 
or, or, or am I wrong to even hope that they could bring some competition? Because Ferrari aren't. Ferrari aren't bringing competition to, to this season. They're, they're going to go backwards. Aston Martin have peaked, in my opinion. That's my guess. That's my guess. Do you, Callum, do you agree? There was a look there. I think they just came out of the box really well and they'll do well to hang on throughout the season. I think the only team that can potentially, not in the championship, but even for the odd race, bring it to Red Bull potentially over the course of the, of the season will be Mercedes. Yes. I, I, yeah, I, well, what was the look I, for then? You made me I feel always, silly. Okay, okay. You, you mentioned Mercedes. I always back Mercedes to develop a car very yeah. well. The thing about Aston... I think they're going to go well at a couple of circuits, so there could sure, be some great results. Sure. I also think Red Bull, you know, it doesn't look like it at the moment, but could have a few issues later on in the season and we don't see. Uh, maybe you're ma- you're making the safer bet by saying they'll <laughs> fall away, but I, I have hope. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm being too harsh on Aston Martin because they've already exceeded how much I thought they would be hanging on. Uh, but we're not really into upgrade season yet, Matt. Well, I think you're missing the point here. It's no. not that Aston won't continue oh. to develop. But it's the fact that they're fighting with one and a half drivers against a team that's almost as good with mm. two drivers. So mm. what I would, and please pardon me for bringing this up, but really the best, um, the best analogy, the best comparison comes, I think, from the McLaren-Alpine battle last season, where you had Norris and the McLaren regularly outscoring both Alpines, but the pair of Alpine mm. drivers doing, being close enough to Norris the fact that Ricardo was scoring nothing was a bigger problem for McLaren, and ultimately Alpine won that points battle. Mm. I think if if Ferrari continue to Ferrari, then then absolutely <laughs> what we might see by the end of the season is Mercedes as a team passing mm. Aston. But that's going to have a lot more to do with the fact that Alonso is outperforming his teammate by a bigger margin, whereas with Russell and Hamilton, as we had with uh, with um, you know, Alonso and Ocon, and where we had, I think, a little less with Hamilton and Bottas, you have a very evenly matched pair of teammates mm. that will extract the maximum points most weekends from their platform. Okay, I've delayed for as long as I can. It's time to rip the bandage off and talk tyres. <laughs> Want to make something clear? I don't hate tyre talk, right? But I think it has its place. And uh, as as a an olden days Formula One fan, as a, as an old F one uncle sat around the tree saying, "Come here, let let me tell you about the olden days, kids." They used to say, "Make tires as good as you possibly can," and then if a team chooses you as their their tire manufacturer, you know, good luck. But you're going to be up against another tire manufacturer that's trying to make their tires as good as possible as well. So they tried to make tyres that were super grippy and super durable. And Pirelli could do this if they wanted to. So this may seem obvious, but if you don't know, you, you, you know, that, that's fine. You don't know. Everyone tell Pirelli, make a tyre that has a certain amount of wear. And Pirelli go, hmm, won't this make us look terrible to people that might want to buy a Pirelli road tyre? No, no, no. Everything will be fine. And then Silverstone 2013 comes along and all the tyres explode. And then when you're at the garage and you say, hmm, new tyres, please. And they go, oh, yes, you can have Goodyear or Pirelli. Pirelli? The ones where the tyres exploded? No, maybe not. I think that was a real effect. So there's a battle between Pirelli being asked to manufacture tyres that 
manufacture a, a strategy difference amongst the teams whilst also being a spec part. So all the teams have to have a Pirelli tyre. And there's not many parts in Formula One now that have that. In other motorsport series, there will be a big spec window where you have to have that suspension. You can change it however you want. You can do what settings you want, but you have to have that suspension. You have to have those brakes. So Formula One traditionally has not been a spec series. Now, the reasons the cars cars look quite similar is because they bring down the parameters in which people can play. So your front wing must be in a certain box. Your rear wing must be in a certain box. You have to adhere to ever tighter rules. So it might look like the cars are being asked to be manufactured in a specific way using specific parts. But actually, the fact is in Formula One now, they're just competing on ever tighter margins. But the tyres are something that are a specific spec part. They all have to have Pirelli tyres. So that is a tool at their disposal. They can choose one of the com- one of the three compounds uh, available to qualify on, to start on, and then to do the race on. And the only reason that I hold Matt back on a race review is because I don't want that tyre chat to dominate the racing action, the, the strategy action. But in reality, Matt, they do. Because the tyres now in Formula 1 completely dictate what kind of race we're going to have. Uh, and, and I hate to break it to you, they always, always have. The tyre is the only part of the car that touches the track. If you use the tyres correctly, you can gain seconds per lap. Anything else you bring as an improvement, like if you brought an arrow, like if you designed a new widget to attach mm-hmm. your wing mirror to the car and it gained the team a tenth of a second, you'd be a hero in the aero department. And On the other hand, if you get your camber settings right and your pressure's right, your car could go two and a half seconds a lap faster in a race. Now, as, as it, you point... The, yeah, sorry, go on. So I, I want to actually address... Uh, there are many points I want to address. First of all, 2013, the teams were running the tires out of Pirelli's specifications. They both had a side and a direction. The teams were swapping them because they were getting better grip. But naturally, that caused tires to fail, and Pirelli kind of bore the brunt of that blame, but it was really not their fault. The teams could do what they wanted with the tires, despite what Pirelli said should be done. That is a regulatory issue that has been pretty much changed. But I'm going to read you a quote from Gunther Steiner about tires and Pirelli. Is it safe for work? I think we need... <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. There are zero words in it that you will have to bleep. I think we need to look into the tires. We always complain when we have drop-off. We always complain when we don't have it. We need to make our mind up what we want because I think Pirelli delivered both ways. And then we say now it's too much, so it will always be difficult. The real issue here is everyone is asking Pirelli to fix all of the issues with the Formula One regulations by making different tires. So if there's not a lot of overtaking, it's Pirelli's fault the tires are too good. If there's too much overtaking and they have to pit all the time, then it's Pirelli's fault because the tires are too chocolatey and so on and so forth and so on. What Formula One needs to do is sit down and figure out what it wants. What is the delta for one car to overtake another and then use DRS and then look at the tires and tire strategy in order to make races more strategically interesting to the viewers. And, And we have to say that these tires are incredible. Like Pirelli do an incredible job. And as you pointed out to me, Matt, uh, our panellist here, Callum, uh, as part of Driver 61, 
put Formula One tyres on a road car. And I want to know why and I want to know how that went. Uh, so we have a YouTube channel called Overdrive. We do fun stuff with cars. Um, and we thought, wouldn't it be a mental thumbnail? As you know, you've got to start with that. Wouldn't it be a, just a mental thing to do to take a normal car and put, put F1 tyres on it? Yeah. So we found some F1 wheels and tyres. Um, Scott knows a guy. Uh, and we machined up some some hubs that go onto a normal car on a normal four stud pattern. Bolted these things on, tried it on a track. Obviously, the first car we put it on was a Caterham, so only... 135 horsepower and 500 kilos so obviously there's nowhere near enough energy going through the through them to get them and that, warm and that's key the energy yeah we then bolted on the t- we then put the tire warmers on and got them as hot as we could and then they worked for a bit and then cooled down and then we thought wouldn't it be funny to put it on a, a car car so we got an mr2 cut oh, some no. arches off it uh, and, and put it on there and that was even worse um it, lots of fun slides and things and also Scott spun it and wound on loads of lock as you you know, any driver would. And the tire got wedged in the arch. So we had to let the tire down and get it out. But anyway, those videos are on, on YouTube overdrive. Um, and it was a lot of fun, but all of the things you would expect as an F1 fan happened, but yes. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that, that just highlights, and I'm like, I'm going to assume given your content that you're also a tire expert, Callum, but that that just highlights like Pirelli are making a very, you know, specialist tire that has to withstand incredible pressures and the, the big headline this week is that they are strengthening, they said, or strengthening the tyres for uh, for the upcoming races, I think from Silverstone, because of the unexpected increase in downforce that, that the teams have managed to get. But an increase in strength doesn't mean an increase in wear? Um, I, uh, y- yes, like I, I, it looks like they're playing with the construction of the tyre, which to me, uh, I spoke to a someone from a brand who doesn't want to be named, but about the uh, Azerbaijan Grand Prix. And that was looking at the the shoulder of the tyre, where the side wall meets the tread. And that was like a structural thing that let go. Now, they were running it too low on pressures and all that sort of stuff. It was similar to what um, Matt said, you know, when people are running tyres, how they shouldn't be run. But that is what failed. That's a structure thing. But then back in Silverstone, when Lewis's one went, was that 2020? It was um, 2013. It's gone a long way back. No, no. Well, oh, yeah, there's that. But then there's also oh. when on three wheels. On three oh, wheels, yes, yeah. of course. That was the and greatest they finish They put ever. that down to too much wear. The tread got too low and then they got a, then they got a puncture. So you've got to play with two things there. <laughs> So either you can have loads of tread to protect, protect against punctures, but then you get loads of deg and tyres fall off because you've got too much rubber getting too hot. Or you can play with the structure of the tyre and they let go that way. Or you can run it, you know, you can run it, yeah, you can protect against punctures or against deg. And then you've also got the added thing of of the structure of the tyre letting go at the edge of the sidewall. So Pirelli have an incredibly complex yeah. thing to do. And it looks like they're playing with that for, for Silverstone. Uh, so, uh, so... One of the things that that I read that was interesting to me, because first I read exactly what you did, that they were changing the construction, but they expected the performance of the tire to not vary. And I'm like, well, that's not possible because the issue here is clearly too much energy. We know that, uh, or at least I believe that Pirelli designed these tires at the behest of the team to fail at that junction between the tread and the sidewall. So we don't get these belts just absolutely slaying the floor mm. when you get a puncture. If you've seen with punctures, like you sort of have that ring stays attached to the wheel rather than the belts that used to just absolutely chew carbon fiber out of the floor. And especially with ground effect, that would be important. But even if that's not the case, what they have 
what I've seen now in, in, in print is that they are actually bringing 2024 quote unquote materials. And essentially what they're saying is the teams are already beginning to reach the downforce levels they expected to see in 2024. Therefore, they're bringing materials to these tires. The teams are going to test them, I think, uh, Barcelona, maybe after Barcelona, and they expect to implement them for Silverstone, which is always one of the most dangerous from a tire energy point of view, races of the year because of your maggots, Beckett's complex, and, and, and just in terms of the amount of energy that gets put into the tire. And especially, I think, too, you have an issue with ground effect and tires because you have to run really high spring rates and the higher spring rates will put more energy into the tire, more thermal energy into the tire. So it becomes mm -hmm. a bigger task for the teams to, to control that, especially at the rear under traction, because that's, you tend to overheat the rears because you have right. energy coming not only from the tire rolling along the pavement and when it's in turns, but also because that's where the tire is being driven. Yeah. Whereas with the fronts, especially on long straights, the issue can be that the, yeah. the carcass will cool down because at 300, you know, a 300 kilometer an hour breeze does tend to remove a fair amount of energy from the oh, tire. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then there'll be a bit cold going in, you'll overheat the surface and you'll get graining, which actually is what so, something that caused Perez a great deal of problems at the start of the Miami Grand Prix. Catlin, how much do you do you keep up with this? I'm keeping up with it handsomely. I got, I got, I got you. I got mm. you. I mean, it makes sense if you're going to play with the construction. The sidewall is going to be harder, and then you're going to, you know, if you've got a stiffer sidewall, you're not being as kind, if you want to think of it that way, to the to the tread that's on the track. You might have things not being well. You might not have the load spread as evenly as you would with a softer sidewall. So you are going to put more more heat through the tires. And so then you've got to start playing with the compound and things like that. So, uh, yes, that that is the case. It's a really complicated thing for, for Pirelli, particularly for Silverstone. And Silverstone seems to be quite unique. Maybe there's Zandvoort as well. It's like high speed corners like that. And that's where... You, if you're going to see any problems crop up with these tires, you're going to see it happen there. So that's but then why, that drags yeah. me back to to Baku and Miami, where I feel they're being a bit, uh, I don't know, they're going one or two steps harder on the compound than maybe they should. And so I would like them to be running them a fair bit softer. But then everyone goes, well, the tires are going to blow up. And I go, well, that's probably more that structure than it is the tire <laughs> itself. So... I get that. As Silverstone, we do oh. need to have tyres that stay together. But for the rest of the races, I think we can we can okay. be a bit more aggressive with them. So, Callum, Matt, can't we? Why can't we have like a stiffer sidewall? And actually, and that's what they did in 2013 when the tyres were exploding. They 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 did a stiffer sidewall, which I guess made the tyre compress less. And that's they what changed the construction. Yeah, yeah, and that's what Red Bull were steel. really were really struggling because the tyre was compressing and it was ruining their aerodynamic profile into yeah. the corners and then when they stiffened the sidewall suddenly all the aerodynamics worked it's not red bull it was vettel oh and that's right. because they were getting more wobble because remember we were the 13 inch tire so you had a you had a bigger sidewall and the sidewall oh, yeah. was wobbling yeah. and the um i'm gonna say it please nobody giggle tire squirt <laughs> from that was kind of squirt. ruining the diffuser and it was ruining the rear uh. end of the car for vettel weber didn't really have a problem with it. And if you remember, he was actually kind of thrashing Vettel up until they switched tires. And when Red Bull... And Mercedes looked good through, as well. Yeah. 
what I will politely describe as extremely effective advocacy. They threw a wobbly. They got right mardy. They had the hump. Convinced them to switch those tires. That season effectively came to <laughs> an end and that won everything. I yeah. lost so much money specifically yeah. on that one decision to change that tire profile. And and the, this is the thing with tires and with the way they get used. And I actually, I want to tell you, Callum, I have some good news for you. Because I saw in my, my research for talking about this, that one of the things under consideration or that they're looking at for 2024 or beyond was a pressure release valve. Now, one thing that you might notice if you pay a lot of attention at a race weekend is that Pirelli will say, here are the pressures mm. for our tires on Friday. And then Saturday, you will see a notice very frequently that those pressures will now be higher, which first of all, will drive all your tire engineers nuts because they have to account <laughs> for that without much chance to to get actual data from the track but also comes about because pirelli has looked at the tire data overnight and said wow that's an awful lot of energy and we don't want our tires to go pop and the easiest way to solve that problem is to make the sidewall stiffer by raising the pressures so what i mm. think they might be looking at here is being able to have a higher starting pressure but then instead of letting it naturally get more and more get it uh, naturally let it increase as the temperature increases because pressure and temperature are related from a physics point of view and the volume of the tire doesn't change they'll be able to keep the pressure constant which means we'll get better handling from the tire further into the race stint. i i i think i'm getting funny looks from spanners here i think that makes sense right is <laughs> okay. that when pressures are too low you have tires going bang and things get a bit unpredictable so you bring the the, the minimum pressure up but you also don't want to punish teams by meaning that when they're then hot pressures get too high you get no grip rubber goes flinging everywhere bad things happen so what you do is you raise the bottom pressure and you bring down the top pressure by adding a release valve so air goes away so that it's a bit more even i like that idea well, thank you for having a command of the English language that I clearly lack at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to let you two roll. Um, Go for it. Uh, yeah. And, and, and so the story then becomes one of how the teams use these tires and how Formula One uses these tires to be interesting. Now, you were complaining about the hardness of the compound, but like at Baku, I think they brought the softest possible tires. And I just would encourage anyone who wants to complain about tires, if a track has been resurfaced, mm. just give it a year or two before you start complaining about tires. Let's see these tires on, on Barcelona, for example, before, before we conclude that Pirelli have made them too hard. My, my argument would be that there has been a trend that happens fairly consistently well, it's, it's started to happen over the end of last year and the start of this year, where we often have tyres that are going too too long. We've got one stops that are absolutely given, and we've got hard, uh, yeah, in Miami, hard. we've got hard tyres that are doing 40 laps absolutely flat out, and they're quicker than, than anything else anyone mm. else is putting on their car. And so I think that is a problem. Pirelli have said they're aiming at two stops. And so if... You can't have those two things. Pirelli are aiming at two stops and we've got one stops. So it means that it is Pirelli's fault. If they're yeah. aiming at that, then that's the issue. So I think they do need to come softer. And there are things that they can do to stop 
tires go exploding so you can raise the pressures and you can sort out the sidewalls and do all the structural stuff you need to but then bring us bring us tires that only you know where the soft last like nine laps and the the hard lot you know hard last like 30 laps like the good old days that's what i'd say well you know i wouldn't argue with you but i would still make miami which is entirely resurfaced everybody remember the first year we went to sochi for example yeah, istanbul when they resurfaced as, as well yeah it? yeah i mm. think i think you just have to give pirelli a pass with the resurfaced track if it continues to be like this i 100 okay. percent agree pirelli have got it wrong but given the fact they're having to bring in stronger tires <laughs> yeah probably not okay so before we uh we you know we I, I sat down to talk to you guys about tires i know i know very little about this so i i set out some spanners learning objectives and I'm going to read them to you, and, and let's see if we can we can get to the, the heart of what we want from tyres. So, what are Pirelli being told to do, and what are they trying to do? So, I, I think they're being told to create exciting racing drama, and that is conflicted with the fact that in within their company, they're also trying to get safely from A to B, without being an embarrassment, saving their reputation. They can't have tyres just exploding. Oh, these tyres are useless. Drivers on the radio going... These tyres are rubbish. And again, it comes to, you know, Richie at the garage saying, do you want Michelin's Goodyear's or Pirelli's? <laughs> Not the ones that Lewis Hamilton said were rubbish and then set the fastest lap of the race. Um, also, I want to know if this is sustainable. Is this permanent? Is there any chance that we go back to a tyre war? And then the, the next thing that I want to know is, are the sticking plasters that we're all suggesting just that? Are they sticking plasters? So we have two suggestions in the maposphere one is chris steven's suggestion that says okay there's the three compounds but uh, you you uh, you just make that two compounds so you always whatever you're picking you just take away the hardest one so there's not the option to just go forever and then karun chanduk from sky tv has been pushing very hard for uh, a rule that says you out of the three compounds you must use all of them and that will create a, a strategic oasis of joy so let's start with this what are pirelli trying to do callum and, and what and what you're the head of the fia now i'm promoting you well well done congratulations i don't want the job <laughs> no no you have to have it okay what what are you what do you run away what do you tell pirelli to do i i tell them exactly what they're being told currently we want two stops two yeah. stops are good three so they, they are being told One? that you think yeah, well, I think they are. Yeah, they they had a goal. I read, um, I forget where, but they're aiming at two stops, and they're currently missing. One stops are boring-ish. Two stops yes. are good. Three stops start to get complicated. So I think the sweet spot is yeah. is between you know you you're choosing between a two and a three yeah. stop. So Pirelli are doing that, but then also you like you say you've got to manage that you don't want to have the company have a reputation mm-hmm. for tires blowing up. But I think they can they can get there. Mm. The tires are there. You could choose the ones that they're currently making. Uh, but they're not doing it. They're going, if if we went for a Chris Stevens thing, right, they would rock up with the medium and the hard. Yes, they go, right, time. let's protect yeah. ourselves. C4, C5, every time. have two tires. Yeah. Yeah. You can choose two different colours of tires. Both will go the entire race. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, so, I mean, Matt, I think this is it. Like, Pirelli will protect themselves. So unless we tell them to do something specific, they're not going to do it. Yeah, well, uh, let's be very clear. The last brief we have had for Pirelli that I'm aware of is that they want grippy tires that drivers can push on, uh, meaning that they are less susceptible to thermal degradation. You can overheat them and the performance will come back. 
And that's pretty much what they've given us. From a strategy sweet point, what I like, and I think what everybody really likes the most, is you would like your one-stop strategy and your two-stop strategy to be within a second of each other. So it's going to be down to driver skill to make the difference. And if I built a car that is kind on its tires, I can run a one-stop and have a chance of winning or finishing in the points or whatever my team's position in the order is. And if I've built a team, I've built a car that can just extract the maximum from the tires, I can run a two-stop strategy and we'll finish virtually identical. That's the winner, 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 winner. I wonder if if we did a study from what Callum said. I wonder if, and apologies, by the way, to people who always think I'm cutting that off. I never mean to be. This is the vagaries of Zoom that uh, we just try and avoid talking over each other. And Matt's very polite. If there's a clash, he tends to back off. So apologies to you there, Matt. Um, But uh, I think Callum's point that, you know, there's a lot of one stoppers. I wish we could do a study into the races that people complain about being boring versus the races that are one stop. Because I think Callum might have put his finger on that, which is that actually, I think, yeah, one stop in this era really does generate the the complaints. Three stop would get a bit much, uh, but there was a golden era in 2014 for tyre strategy, where pretty much every team had uh, the prime and option. So there was two tyre compounds to pick from. And uh, and they would generally have two stops, maybe three if they wanted to be aggressive, and very rarely would be able to cling on for the one stop. And the one stop was always like a, wow, like if you can do that, you are a tyre magician. Okay, so let's talk. <laughs> The reason (laughs) we have seen the progression to the one stop is one, the teams know that the less times they come into the pits, the less things can go wrong. That's easy and obvious and just risk avoidance 101. And the second thing that has happened that doesn't often get talked about, but I actually did a great deal of research on a number of years ago, is the fact that over the years, due to the decreasing speed limit in the pit lanes, is the pit delta itself has increased. So if you go back far enough and start looking at when people pitted, uh, it was 12 or 15 seconds. And the tires were robust enough that I could make that stop. And in 10 laps, uh, you know, or or 20 laps at 0.75 second a lap, I could catch you and pass you. So So that we had this, we had less of a penalty for stopping. And now, with the pit deltas getting bigger and bigger, what happens is Pirelli has had to make more and more robust tires so that I can make that stop and I can continue to extract that, you know, three-tenths, five-tenths, seven-tenths, whatever it is a lap, and catch my person who's on the older tires and hasn't made that stop. But the issue when you do that is you wind up with a hard tire that uh, on certain teams, And I would say that the top five teams on certain tracks, the ones that have been newly resurfaced mostly, can run a race distance and not suffer an immense amount of drop-off. But really, I think it's a small number of tracks and not all of the teams. And on those teams, not even all the drivers. Alonzo, he could do it. Stroll, I'm not convinced he has the tire management skills. To run, to run a zero stop on a hard tire. I think he's going to need to stop because he can't manage the tires as well. Selling a little 
or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's my take. And if you really want to solve this issue and get people stopping more often, well, make the pit lanes shorten the lap so that the teams have less of a pit delta when they come in without endangering anyone in the pit lane. Yeah, I I agree. I think it it's tough because the pit lanes over the last couple of seasons have got really tight. There's been a lot of very near misses and cars, you know, they're big cars trying to get in these small pit lanes, particularly at like, there's places like Zandvoort and obviously Monaco and places like that where, you know, things are really tough. Miami actually last year. And so you have got to avoid that. So then that makes sense with the, with the pit lane Delta. I agree. I, again, there's always this thing, right? In that it's very easy to say we should do it this way. And you think that would solve a solution, but then it would bring up another problem. We're always moving the problem around. Right. But I still think that if we just took softer compounds, the ones we have, the C0 to C5, if we just went one stop, one step softer, what would happen because yes our pit delta is still big but then you've you've got the tire you've got the drop off and also that you know the teams aren't going to gamble on a tire really running out you know that that soft tire that no one used this weekend uh sorry in Miami right uh, if if that was the medium right and we were still a bit softer we would have had an incredible two three stop race and we would have seen overtakes happening in the pit lane we would have seen loads of different strategies we would have seen it would have you been know, a seven stopper i mean mclaren abandoned that tire after four laps but they would have done well maybe they would have done four five six seven eight laps at the start and then they would have been pushing two hard sets and we would have had a two stop there's nothing to say that's not the case. But again, that could have brought up everyone cuddling their tire and, you know, not making overtakes and there being big DRS trains and things like that. You know, it could bring up other things that I'm not foreseeing here, but I would like to see what would happen if we're not so conservative when we're picking the tire compounds. 
okay, I'm a person occasionally known to have an opinion. And and I know that spanners, and, and this actually sent me off on a bit of a rant that got me into trouble with uh, Mike Caulfield. Uh, <laughs> oh, but no, Matt. What? Well, no, you've given away why we had to edit all that stuff out of that episode now. No. You? And that uh, horn uh, in your background agrees with you. Yes, uh, that's we... that. That's your fault for bringing me in that lap. Okay, we don't often have to edit stuff out of Mist Apex uh, on on uh, you know you know in broad sweepstakes, but just know that Matt got us into such a legal quagmire that we had to delete ten minutes out of a show, and thank goodness it was a uh, a prereq. <laughs> it was it was entirely boring. We learned nothing. We I learned loads of things. That oh, were, that, I learned lots of things that were legally were... problematic. You were not making this better. No, I got into trouble with Mike on Twitter because, and, and this is Calum, I, I would like your opinion on this, in fact, because everyone was saying, oh, Karun Chandok's suggestion that we mandate running all three specifications of tires is genius. And it, that's what will make F1 exciting again. Because as we all know, F1 is the most boring sport in the world now. There will never be another yeah. interesting race. <laughs> True. And the only way to fix it is to come up with some random gimmicky yep. tire rule. Sticking plastic. Not, not that I'm trying to um, prejudice the jury here. I'm interested in your own opinion. Um, <laughs> Leading but the, witness, the only way to Your fix Honor. it is, yeah, use all use all three combats. So, what did you think, Callum, when you saw that? that I had I had my own little internal battle when I saw that. Right. Okay. In, if if you would have taken just that race, right? If you'd taken Miami, you said let's make everyone try all three sets of tires you would have seen people coming in to try and get rid of the soft doing four laps absolutely flat out and then yep. getting back on the hard or the medium like it would have improved that race in that scenario i think but again like i was saying with unintended consequences with these things uh there was actually a grand right sorry for the people who don't you know sim non-apologists but there was a gran turismo thing a while back in gran turismo sport the online races where you had to do this you had to do a soft medium hard and what everyone did was they did the soft as long as they could because it was the quickest the medium and then they bolt on the hard for half a lap at the end yeah. they do that literally <laughs> yeah. for the lap just just to satisfy the the rule and so we would see a lot of that i think there'd be the the tire that isn't in favor everyone would be bolting on for one lap and there'd be loads and loads of stops and maybe it would mix things up but it would feel a bit wrong it's it's not it's not the teams picking the best strategy it's them saying which is the least worst i think and so uh, again i fell back on this and thought actually no it's not a good idea um i know karun's been pushing it for a while uh, uh, it doesn't feel um, right to me i think they yeah. should make the tires suit a mm. one or a two race two stop race make it close yeah. And then you'll get exciting racing. It's definitely a sticking plaster map because, you know, it's those adverts. I don't know. I've seen them on TikTok or whatever, where there's a leak in a water tank and then someone slaps this big, you know, plaster, this gel pack on. Yes. And that solves everything. But basically, you, you would take away the whole wear thing uh, of the tyres as, as an issue because you would basically, you know, probably could just make the hardest tyre and they all have a slightly different lap time but you've got to arbitrarily change them. So there wouldn't be a real benefit to running them in a different order. It's it's definitely, you know, it's, it's curing, like I said on the race review, it's like, yeah, oh, I'm swallowing nails. How can I cure the the, the scratchy throat I get? Oh, well, you could you could just drink Savlon and 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 like and chew on on Sudocrem. No, stop swallowing nails. And I think um yeah, the the problem is that we got hooked on the fact that if you're on a different tire, 
it creates a delta between the cars, which improves overtaking. And, and I think that was demonstrated really well in, say, 2014, 2015. As uncompetitive as it was at the front, you would see that, yes, you had the tyre on the option. If you, if you did an alternate strategy, you'd come out suddenly on the soft tyre and you could start attacking and overtaking. And that was quite exciting. But overtaking, the metric for overtaking, has been massively overused. So people are saying, oh, oh, there was less overtakes in Miami this year than last year. And the implication is that more, more overtakes equals a better race. I'm sure we can point to an example of a good race that had less overtakes than a poor race that had more overtakes. So we get to the point where we're, are we doing overtakes for the sake of it? As, as a young man, my dad, Callum, and don't judge me for this, Callum, right? Don't judge my dad. Rest in peace, dad. He was a MotoGP fan. I know, I know, I know. But I, I climbed away from that. I survived that rough childhood to, to go into Formula One. But I, I, was, I, I loved the skill of MotoGP. I can see that. I was a biker myself. I've toured around Europe on a bike. Um, but the fact that they could kind of almost ghost past each other, there was lots of overtakes. But that, to me, didn't recreate what I loved about Formula One, which is the fact that you had to get your solid race car past another solid race car. Uh, I, th- I just think we've got to get away from judging a race by the amount of overtakes. Absolutely. I completely agree. I think I was thinking back to a couple of the races. The ones that are on the top of my head is, was it Hungary 2020 or 2021? There was that one where Lewis pitted and was trying to... No, Max pitted and was trying to catch Lewis. Like, mm. often there aren't loads of overtakes in Hungary, but that one, there was a battle at the front yeah. with differing strategies, and both of them were absolutely flat out in their own way, and it was really, really, really close. There was also the same in Kota last year. And, oh, oh, Kota you know, 21. Kota 21. Yeah, Great exactly. example, yeah. And so there's not loads of... You don't need overtaking. I keep seeing stats for Formula E of we, this many mm-hmm, overtakes mm-hmm. happened. And yes, the racing was great in Monaco last week. Yeah, it was fun. But most of them were people going through attack mode and all that yeah. sort of stuff was getting counted. And so it doesn't mean it's a great race. Yeah, you're right. That metric isn't right. But also <laughs> the tyres at the moment... <laughs> Uh, they're too hard they're too hard yeah Yeah, if max is doing 40 something laps absolutely flat out and lewis is bolting on mediums and they're not as quick then that that is a problem yeah that's a mercedes problem yeah (laughs) okay but fundamentally there are lots of racing series out there that don't have wearing tires Mm. so isn't isn't the whole pirelli thing a sticking plaster in itself lots of them are are I don't know. I, I immediately thought of Le Mans, where where people will do they'll quad yeah. stint tires in yeah. the night. But again, that is a race that's stretched out over twenty four hours, so there is a lot of strategy yeah. that's going. Of how long can you make the tires last? Formula E again, they don't change tires. Uh, IndyCar, they do. So I don't know. I, I'm sh- I'm sure there's something there, but really, it's about having differing strategies that are close. Mm. I think that's what it is. So, by the way, to be fair, I'm a fan of this Pirelli model. I think it's I think it's great. You've got a spec part that will and and you've created a problem for the teams which is you can have a fast tire but it won't last as long. You can have a durable tire which is slower and it will last longer but not the entire race. So I'm actually a fan of what Pirelli have been asked to do. I think Callum you've hit the nail on the head. They just need to do it better, be a bit braver. And as fans, if we have the odd race where the tires fail, Let's not overreact. Uh, Matt, final word for you, because this has been a very extended tyre segment. Uh, yeah, and we've only gotten started. <laughs> no, we haven't. Let's move on. I'm gonna hit, make your last point, or I'm going to no. hit the bumper. 
My last point is people want to blame Pirelli for this, but I wouldn't. This is an issue for the FIA and for this regulation set. And the simple reason for that is the main problem now is the delta for overtakes is higher because the teams have been doing nothing but reclaiming outwash in contravention of what the FIA wanted. The FIA is outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, and outplanned by the teams. I'm waiting for Spanners to catch a reference. <laughs> okay, go on. And, and as a result, the regulation sets become less effective, overtakes become harder, and the immediate response is to say, oh, it's the fault of the tires. Pirelli have delivered exactly what's been asked of them by the FIA. Not that it's perfect, but it's definitely better. And it's only the FIA that can really solve this problem by policing the teams as we get deeper into this regulation set. That was a really boring segment, but whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? It was Matt's. <laughs> now, now we're moving on. Right, we're going to move on. And I'm so delighted that we're going to have this segment. Okay, you look, you've had an hour of news and tyre chat. Don't come up at me with criticisms of sim racing chat because what I want to talk about is can you relate your sim racing or even video game experience into the real world and we have living proof because Callum McIntyre here has been grabbed by the scruff of the neck and dragged from the sim racing rig out onto the real world so I'm, I'm gonna I want to have a conversation about the specific skills that are transferable from the sim rig, from computer games, into the real world. But firstly, Callum, tell me about your experience. And as much as I want you to dumb it down because I am so jealous of you, I hate you, tell me where you started and what you've been doing. Cheers, fans. It's, uh, it's been a mental year. I'm absolutely pinching myself about it. But um, I hate you. So I'm going to say I hate you periodically. <laughs> okay, fine. That's, that's good. I'll, I'll, I'll tune that out. Um, so Overdrive, our YouTube channel, um, we make, well, we make videos about cars yeah. and we do a lot of fun stuff on track. And Caterham reached out and said, we have this Academy series, um, which I've watched for a long time, actually. It's really great it's racing great online. Series. And good. would Callum like to do it? Which I, is like, oh you. my goodness. <laughs> yes, I'm absolutely. still waiting for this call. Are you waiting for this call, Spanners? I'm, I'm waiting, waiting for, for the this call. call. Right, let's... I'll put in a good word. Anyway, so the Caterham Academy is is a it's a series specifically tailored to amateur racing drivers. So those who novice yeah. racing drivers. So you can either build the car or have the car built. Um and you are basically you basically play pay one lump sum and you get the year of racing and the car all chucked in. You can then after that work up their ranks, keep upgrading your car faster and faster for the different series and kind of go from there. But Caterham have made it with a spec tire, Matt, you'll love that. And um I do. And very, very similar cars. So it's basically a, a spec series. And they take you to loads of the great tracks in the UK and and coach you through your first year of racing. So you actually get, you go to get your license with everyone who's racing in that series. And I did that at Castle Coombe uh, in a little Fiesta. Um, <laughs> and then you you go racing. We I actually built my car along with with uh my colleague will um we did it in 24 hours for a video so that video is up on our, oh wow our so a real kit so car we built it from a kit wow. yes you can do that lots of i think about 40 percent of the other drivers have done that themselves you can mm. buy it from caterham but you can build it yourself so that means when i'm bleeding the brakes or playing with camber angles or things like <laughs> yeah. that I, I you know you've done it before um so it's a really incredible series um 
you race at places like Alton Park, Donington, sure. Snetterton. Mm. Those in the UK will know those as really incredible circuits. So yeah, so Donington was, as well. Sorry, is Donington's on your calendar as well. I think yes, yeah. Donington, wow. Snetterton, Alton Park. I don't know Cadwell Park. We were at last time. Mm. Uh, so really excellent circuits and. Yeah, they, they take you racing for the first time. You're racing against loads of other n- novices. They can't have held a race license or a cut national karting license before. Mm. Um, so it means that you're not racing against kids who've been doing it since they're six. You know, you're all in the same boat learning it together. Yeah. And it's been absolutely incredible. We've done two two races so far. One was a sprint, one was a race. Mm. Um, so the sprint was at Kerbera and then the race was at Cadwell Park. So it's been really, really good. But the thing I'm really interested in is that I've, got a lot of experience in the sim like mm-hmm. a similar story to a lot of people like like you yeah. both of you two is that um you know we've done a lot of sim racing we've done yeah. endurance races we've done online races we've we've set up a car before we've you know made lots of overtakes we've done all of that in the sim without feeling the g-force yeah. and without having fear of hurting yourself um and so how much of that does translate and so you know i'm a 2800 when i try i rating driver for those who know what that means and that that means he's about as rubbish as me no 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 no, that's reasonable 2300 sorry spanners no so uh, (laughs) so so yeah the i rating is based on like the the results that you kind of you know grind out it's not necessarily like are you the fastest driver it's more about like how many how well you do in races so i don't callum i'm not saying your ultimate pace isn't incredible but for example, like my ultimate pace is is well off, like it's a, a second and maybe a second and a half off ultimate pace from the top drivers. Yeah, I could get to kind of like 3000 by being like dad driving, like slow and steady. Make sure I pick up the points. Don't don't be win or bin. Um, but yeah, I think I think we're not dissimilar. You also, like me, have a bit of a secret advantage in that, you know, I have Brad Philpot, who I I always say to him, hey, Brad, let's make some content. And in this content, let's talk about specifically how we addressed my weakness yeah. <laughs> in in, uh, in iRacing. Um, you've got Scott Mansell, of course, um, who's a really experienced coach and top level uh, uh, British sports car driver. Uh, but uh, his help was, I think, minimal in this. And you guys were able to make a video that, that showed like how well does your skill from that, I don't want to say mediocre, Callum, but I'm saying no, no, accessible from an, an accessible sim racing point of view where you've got a high-end belt-driven wheel, which is, uh, you know, not quite as good as my... It's not as good as my direct drive wheel, Callum. It's not a competition, but I win. Um, but from a, a, a very accessible and affordable sim rig out onto, Cape, uh, out onto Cape, uh, a Caterham racetrack, and I think it's incredible from your video how many of those skills translated onto the real-world track. So yeah, I, I think I was I was amazed. So, but I would say Scott, when I learned to sim race, he coached me. Um, yes, and so there there was that, and I've also been through the Driver Sixty One sim racing programs that are excellent. By the way, sorry, small plug. No, no, plug, um, no, please plug them. They're really, they're really good. Well, it's, I gained a thousand I rating after doing those, um, and so. I would say I I did sim racing, but I take it seriously. Yes, absolutely. I, I drive around thinking, what is limiting me here? Is it the front end of the car or the back end of the car? What am I doing with tyres? Am I using all of the road? I'm I'm trying to think about it as I would when I'm in a real car. Um, I would say with the 2000i rating, we, we got we got a bit of pushback on the on the Drive, Driver 61 channel with everyone saying, well, that means you're in the top 7% of mm. i races, which is true. Yeah. But I would say it's an average situation for those who are taking it seriously who, who are ta- yes, you and are. are racing a lot. Absolutely. So I, I think there's that. 
Um, but I was really shocked. And the reason we made that video was that I was really shocked when I got into that first race, I pulled away from the line. I was side by side with someone else and I did everything as I would in the sim. Wow. And it turned out the way it would in the sim. I was, I was, I thought I would be more scared of having another car with yeah. wheels and an engine like inches from my car doing a hundred miles an hour, but it was a similar feeling. And that's why I was like, you know, felt validated that all of those hours we've spent in the sim it does work <laughs> so I, really wa- I watched that video and there was no hesitation at all you got to a corner where basically he had the inside line and it was a kind of a i would say a, a medium speed right hander you were on the outside and you just sent it around the outside and if that's the first time you've ever been in that situation i i kind of almost judge you for going yeah i've done this on the sim <laughs> I, i'm definitely not gonna die from doing this yeah, I was, I, I'm quite proud of myself for that overtake, I will be honest. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't even think about it. Like I, I know it sounds silly, but that was first instinct. I'm going to sling it around the outside. I had tried that line in testing. Like I, I'm trying all these things, driving offline, knowing that the race was going to be coming up and I would have to know these things and where's good to overtake? How late can I break in these places? But yes, um, I I was astonished at how natural it felt. Uh, well, the the interesting thing to me that you're not mentioning now, because... Uh, like spanners i've had exactly one experience where i was able to drive a track yeah in a sim and then drive a real race car on that track at a track day not an actual race and i found myself very limited by the fact that they were only allowed three spins on the day and they'd already had one of them before i even got to the track (laughs) is that right it it tends to raise your your being cautious level uh but what struck me and what i really want to know about is it looked like that that race that you were discussing was in uh, some rather changeable conditions. And that's something that we can't even begin yeah, to taste yeah. in the sim. Yeah, yeah, that was, I, I've got a lot of similarities here that we spoke about in the video and we talk about today. There are lots and lots of things that tied across, you know, all of the technique, all of the car control, all of the racecraft is the same. Learning to heel and toe, we've got H pattern gearboxes. So I had to learn to be blipping the throttle as you go down the gearbox to avoid you know the car's so light 600 kilos with me in it if if you get a gear change wrong you lock up those wheels you're going to the barrier so there's lots of those things that you need to learn but the biggest thing is is wet tracks you know iRacing doesn't have rain currently loads of people will be saying a set of course has rain you know you should try it on there but the wet line isn't the same and so when i first got to i got to brands hatch and they're like right off you go in in caterham's car that they very kindly lent me saying go on and it's absolutely torrential yep. you're on a track day with loads of other cars and you're like right i've got to figure this out um it's nothing like it is in the sim that was the biggest single difference changeable conditions yeah. and feeling the grip yeah. um it makes an uh, i mean it's it, worlds apart so just on this on on wet lines uh so there's lots of computer games that will simulate uh having rain and you can play an f1 game and you can have uh rain and it will reduce the grip what what doesn't tend to get simulated is something that you will see on your local outdoor karting track if it's sodden like if there's standing water what you absolutely need to do is avoid the racing line because the racing line has a build-up of rubber on it and that is extra slippy so you suddenly have to kind of explore the track and find the the line so you go extra wide and then you you suddenly find a bit of the track where the water's drained away well enough for the the track to grip and when you find that you look like an absolute superhero and so i remember racing against the brad philpott and alex van jean in the wet at milton Keynes daytona and i was like how how are they dancing past me as if i'm standing still 
And then when we got out of the cart, they said, oh, all the curbs have uh, are quite porous. So the, per- the, the, the curbs Ricky. allow the water through. Therefore, there's no standing water. Therefore, you, you, you aquaplane deliberately to the apex and then you catch the curb and that's enough to, to sling you around. So, yeah, so that's kind of a local track uh, thing that, that is not currently able to be simulated on, on the sim. But what I'm really interested in, Callum, is physically, as a driver, if you're in a sim rig uh, like yours or even a good one like mine, you are, <laughs> you are, the, the physical movements you're doing with your hands and the physical movements you're doing with your feet are identical. I, I think, and I think that's the main transferable, you know, application. Yeah. So it's interesting to know, like, when you got out there with your caterum, did you feel confident to manage oversteer, manage understeer? Yeah, so the car control, like you said, was exactly the same. I felt, particularly in caterum, you're right back over the rear wheel, so you feel everything. Yeah. And it's so light. Honestly, the, the, the feedback it gives you, I'm sure, is second to none um, in a car like that. Um, and so it teaches you a lot that way. So there's there's that. Then also the thing about the wet lines you were talking about is that you might be thinking, oh, it can't make, I didn't think it made that much difference, right? But if you're on the inside of the track going into a corner off the rubber, if you braked like that on the rubbery line, you're going straight off. You lock up, you're off. Um, And so really avoiding those wet lines was absolutely crucial. I was was in qualifying at, at Cadwell Park and sat there in the assembly bay and it started raining. And so we were going into our first quality session with absolutely soaking wet. Luckily, I got I won the race to the assembly area, so I went out first. And um, it was wet to start with. And so you're having to figure it out, having not driven that track in the wet before. And then it dried over the session. So I was I was leading the session to begin with and then started to fall down as the as the track was drying. Um, and then had to sort of figure out where parts of the track under the trees were still wet. And then the rest that was up on top of the hill has been dried by the wind <laughs> and was dry. So you're having to to react naturally to how much grip there is when you haven't driven on that bit of track with that much grip. You're having to sort of infer it from other things. Um, and so that was a real skill that Scott taught me in the car that I didn't learn from sim racing. Well, well and this is the question I, I wanted to most ask. Uh, because up until the point where you said, you know, if you crashed it, it was your problem. I was thinking of the video where he went out and said, oh, I immediately induced all kinds of handling problems in the car to learn about it. What did he teach you about learning a track rapidly? And is that something that you were then able to take from real life back to your sim racing? Yeah, that's the biggest yeah, super interesting question. So in the sim, when when I learn a track, right, I've got a race in twenty minutes. I'm thinking about it, and and you're you're going. You basically what I do is I take a guess of this car, this track, where are the breaking points going to be, what are the gears going to be, and you kind of go from there and you refine it. You go, I braked a bit early, a bit late, and you you play with it there. But really, you need ten laps, twenty laps, thirty laps to be on the pace for a twenty four hour race. You're really grinding. You're doing hundreds of laps, and there isn't really a substitute for that time you can tell because max verstappen one of the most talented drivers in the world is doing 50 hours before a race so in the sim you haven't got the feeling so you have to repeat it over and over again in real life um we went to donnington it's a super slippery track in the wet i was there with scott and i i I took him out first and for him to assess how things were going and i went out and i was steady and i built up and i thought i was doing everything right so i was working up to the limit not really going outside it and he pulled me into the pits after two laps and said, right, you want to get faster over 50 laps. I need you to get faster over three corners. That's the difference. And so, yeah. Yeah. So Scott hopped in 
He said, treat this like a quality session when you're out with me. And so he hopped in. He said, let me show you what I'm doing. So we come up to turn one. It's a, a sort of medium speed right hander at, at Donington. And he winds on loads of lock immediately to make it understeer. So we're we're coming out the pit so we're not we're not at the speed you would be going on a normal lap he wides on loads of lock feels what the understeer feels like the g-force what's the wheel giving him back what does that feel like okay i've got that i know what it will do up until the point it, it understeers then as we get through the corner he sort of neutralizes the understeer with a bit of throttle and then he whacks on loads of throttle to make it oversteer so he's deliberately driving over the limit if the limit's ah, here he's, yes. he's stepping it over and so he goes right i know where the limit is now I've got this feeling in my core. I know how I can break. I know how I can turn in and I know how I can come out the corner. And then he goes, right, well, the old Heppin's the next real big corner I need to deal with. I know it's roughly like this. I've got this feeling of the G-force. Let's take a better educated guess at that corner. He then goes through that corner. He's like, okay, well, I went in a bit too hot, a bit too slow or whatever. And then he infers that. So after one lap, he's made the car go over the limit 12 times. Whereas I was doing it once in five laps by driving carefully. So I was driving, thinking, where's the limit? Creeping up, creeping up, being scared of where it is, scared to go over it because I think I'm going to go in the barrier. (laughs) Whereas Scott said, I found it in, in lap one, turn one. And then he's inferring it from there. So I've actually, I've, I've applied that to my sim racing since watching that video. That, that is one of the most useful things, which is, yeah, just, just like make, make, make it go to the point where you've taken too much apex speed. So you know, you know what it's like. And actually when you go to the limit, you realise, oh, no, I was leaving so much on the table. And actually, recently, I had Kyle Power and Alex Van Jean in my sim rig. So two guys who are very experienced at karting and sim racing. And I noticed one amazing thing, which is uh, I, I go into an apex, I get to the apex, and then I point my wheel to the exit so I can drive to the a- exit. And I looked at these guys' steering positions, and at the exit, they're still cranked over trying to make the corner whereas i was driving basically like i was going to the shops matt and i was like you know pointing to the exit and it's like no they're, they're at that the the very limit where they're asking so much of the car by the time you get to the exit and i think just pedestrian kind of tires yeah drivers like us we, <laughs> we just we don't ask enough of of the car in the sim or on the computer game uh, well, I love that. Actually, I, I was watching a, a lovely video on vehicle kinematics, and um, I think it was from Mike Law, who's got a book out and whatnot, and his Formula F1 guy. And he's basically said, look, and this actually changed how I thought about corners a bit. He says, look, if you have a car that's well balanced on corner entry, it is going to understeer as you approach the apex. And so you have to keep more lock on or else or else you will go wide of your you will go wide of your mark and and i know um we had this discussion earlier about steering wheels and yours is better than mine yes much better but i got to drive brad's steering wheel yeah which nothing personal is a little bit better than yours yes yeah and 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 no one's going to argue with that because brad is sort of mental when it comes to equipment um but what amazed me was, uh, have you both driven uh, the Brazil in iRacing? Into the mm-hmm. yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, there's like that three, that long, lazy thing in the middle of the infield. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right? So uh, my first time driving that on, on Brad's much better wheel than mine, I was astonished to discover that I could turn the wheel all the way to here. 
without the car losing grip. Audio audio podcast, he's cranking it over quite a lot. The difference is I was 45 degrees and I discovered I could go almost 90 degrees without losing the car. I never would have found that. Yeah. And on, on, on my, on my cheap wheel at home. Yeah. And and I was quite embarrassed because Alex and Kyle, the first thing they said to me was, oh, you're not steering enough. I'm like, no, don't tell me that my lap times, I just needed to steer more. And that's horrible. It's the same in, in the real world. Scott used to run a, a driver trading, um, well, like program where people would come, they would be in his car on his track. And he said this was always the case. He had to get people to turn more. It's the same in the sim. In the oh, sim good. course you yeah. do with Driver 61 Sim Racing, they put you on that Again. centripetal circuit. iRacing, they have like just a round circuit yes. with lines on. It's not, it's not even a circuit, it's just a round piece of tarmac. And it's going, steer to where you think you can turn and then just add 90 degrees more lock and see what the car does. And so there is often more you think there is. It's almost like a phantom ceiling you're driving under thinking the limit's here when actually if you drove the car better and had it balanced better and had the weight transfer better, you can raise that ceiling much higher. Um, and that's something I found in the way you have to drive a Caterham. It's very... You know, I drive a lot of F3 cars and things like that in, in iRacing. And obviously driving this Caterham is completely different. You've got uh, you've got H-pattern gearbox. And also the car is very light. It wants to be on its nose. And you, you have to be very, very smooth. It's got 130 horsepower. So it's not got loads. You can't sort of point it and stamp on the throttle very Max Verstappen to get out the corner. You've got to sweep in through the corner and carry loads of momentum and then and drag it out. And so you have to really adapt your driving style. And again, that's come from sim racing. The ability to adapt your driving style to different cars is something you learn over and over again by hopping in loads of random different cars. Um, and so, yeah, it's something I've learned that's come from sim racing, but that ability to change your driving style and to adapt to the car you're in. Uh, so I have two questions. One is a quick follow-up. Is having driven now raced in real life, when you go back to the oh, sim, do you question. find that has, that has changed your steering, because we were specifically talking about steering. And the other thing is, and this is just me being a bit cheeky, I am definitely someone who likes, if I have the time, to fool around with my setup. Do you, did you find the Caterham setup matched what you liked in a car? And if not, like, what kind of a challenge was it to adapt? So starting with the setup, yes. Um, I drive cars with very rearward brake bias. I like them very on the oh, nose. I like them very my. oversteery. Um, and the opposite, I, particularly the F3 give me, car. Give me some middle-aged understeer every time, Callum. Oh, really? Yeah. No, no, no. I don't like that. Um, I like to turn it in, like arriving on the brakes quite hard, but pivoting the car very early, and um, particularly in that F3 car, and then getting on the throttle on the way out. And I, I drive this, I think, oh, maybe I shouldn't give this away, but my Caterham, I've set it up with a lot of rake. I think a lot more than everyone else is running. Um, and so you've got a lot more weight on the on the nose. You can turn in a bit more aggressively. It does mean you can lose the rear in braking. And I've had that a couple of times where you've kind of got to, you know, you get caught out by it. But it means you don't get the understeer and exit that everyone else is getting. So the setup does reflect it. The Caterham, you haven't got a brake bias knob. So that's been something that's so you have been to, tricky to play with. You have to pick but one. I've, yeah. No, no, no. There's just There just isn't one. So you get what you're given. But I have found you can upgrade the rear pads. So I've I've taken out the pads that was in it and put <laughs> grippier pads in, and then you can make it a rear So bias, you want to get the, ed, the, the the back end out by having a bit more grip at the rear? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, look, look this, all of this is, is so like interesting because the fact that you could go from being a, a mediocre, and we keep saying that, 
as an insult, uh, and then go to a Caitlin series (laughs) and do well because you, you, you stuck it on pole straight away, which is, which is a fantastic indictment of the fact that you're doing it kind of week in, week out as a sim racer. Most people kind of frame it as, oh, can a sim racer actually get out on track and be good? Whereas really, we should be talking about how much of an advantage is sim racing in a decent bit of kit uh, when you get onto real racing? How much of an advantage is that over people who are purely real-life racers? So you get into that Caterham series, you're probably racing against people who are only physical racers, who don't have thousands of hours of wasting their life on iRacing. I will say it. there are lots of drivers in the in the in the championship i'm running who have had a previous car a previous caterham and have done a year of testing and being coached and being at tracks every weekend and so they have got they might have a similar level of experience but i think the thing that sim racing gives you is its race environment every time Mm. the number of overtakes your average sim racer has done will far outweigh any amateur driver you could probably look at Ferrari Challenge drivers, mm. and they've done fewer overtakes. They've made fewer setup changes. They've done fewer different types of racing than than just your average mm. sim racer. So it is just you're doing it lots. And, and, and what was that, very what was Scott's opinion on it? Because I, I know like Brad Philpot, who uh, has helped me cheat at many karting events. Yeah. Uh, he he will treat like he was Nordschleife champion, twenty uh, four hour class champion, and and he he says that he will be much more prepared for an event if he can do it in the sim. Um, what was Scott's uh, opinion on that? Um, so for Scott's racing, he he will prep in the sim, but I think he backs his ability to be quick in a car on the day, to yeah. get quick quicker um, yes. than most other people and to be good in, in changing conditions. Um, so I think there's a lot of that. And obviously most of his racing was done before Sims were really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, most of his, he drove Formula One cars at 16 years old. And so they didn't have models and tracks and things <laughs> then. Um, so there's that. But then I think he was shocked when I first got in a car that I was happy with it moving around. And I kind of knew how to react to a car moving around. He was yeah. as shocked as I was. Yeah, when wh- I got in but it. why? There's no, all the hand movements and feet movements are the same, but you shouldn't be prepared for the g-force you shouldn't be prepared for the fear factor so i will go onto a kart track say like butmore and they have a sweeping downhill section and i'm terrified and even though Mm. in that like in that particular event i actually i finished i think fifth i beat kyle i beat kyle in that event by bullying him a lot and he was not happy he yelled at me quite a bit um i put him on the grass but i I finished (laughs) fifth i think in that event um, but yeah. yeah, in the downhill bit where you're flat out left, right into a, a hard braking zone, every lap. So like maybe like 40 times over the course of the day, I was going, ah, I'm too old. I have too many responsibilities to die like this. And like every time I was like, that wall's going to kill me. How did you deal with that real world danger? Um, uh, I, I, I was really scared. Right, uh, Brands Hatch. Well, I'm glad. So you're saying then. <laughs> and you're going around Paddock Hill Bend and you're like, my sim racer says I want to be out there on the curb, you know, hanging it out, you know, using all of the track. And my brain was going, absolutely not, yeah, absolutely I not. Bet. I then had a coach who was going, look, you can gain a second by doing this. But and I I'd get wanna. there and I'd be like, oh, I know I can break here, but I'm going to break 100 yards earlier. And so there really was that fear. But a lot of it was just doing laps and learning to trust yeah. the car. Um, and 
So it was kind of that. And then obviously the physicality you mentioned, like even in a KTM that pulls, I don't know, 1.3, 1.5 G around a corner, which is nothing compared to an F1 car. Like it's a lot of load on you and the brake pedal you have to really stamp on and all of that. Yeah. So multiply that up to a really, really quick car. And it must be you how, know, very, very different. How long before it was normal, that fear and that G-force and that trust in the car? Uh, 40, 30 laps. It's not a, a lot. A day and a bit. It's not no. a lot. Can we put a monetary figure on that? Like, okay, oh no. I know that Caterham obviously would would encourage people to join their series. If we want to be vague, I looked Hmm. at the prices of series like that and like, you know, series where you can just jump in and say a Peugeot 2 or 6, strip out the seats and and, and race competitively. It's, It's actually not insane. I think we're talking about an obsessive golf season and a very bottom level sports car you know like a production cup car yeah. series they're sort of comparable but you get less time in your car but you could do it i look at my children and i go i should probably prioritize you but it's not insane like you can go club racing so that bad obsession motorsport they did this uh city car cup um and i think their budget their money at the end of the year was about fourteen thousand with the car so they mm. they bought the car stripped Ooh. it out put the cage in it yeah. did all of that and so there's it, it's somewhere around there i think it might have been a little bit more actually by the time you've done the number of races the k the Catrum series is excellent because you get an incredible road car as well yeah. and you get to keep the car i think it's oh, just really? over thirty thousand oh, okay, pounds cool. and, and you can get oh, an mot and God. you can drive that on the road that, yeah, yeah yeah so it's a road car i drive it to all the events um, and <laughs> then you get the series uh you know the tires the the license the everything with it um to then go and racing and obviously all your entry and everything like that Okay, now, I don't want to give away the game too much, but it's very clear Spanners has had you on because people constantly complain when we make iRacing references when we're talking mm, about Formula One. Do. And 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 this is clear <laughs> evidence that we're not entirely wrong to do so. Mm. But, and I'm not going to say this is entirely based on my own personal uh, experience going from a sim to real life and a track, but yeah, it is. Was there anything that you had learned in the sim that was actually crossing you up in real life that you had to unlearn? Uh, it's probably just bad habits I had yeah. that I would have yeah. had to fix anyway. So a lot of it, I was I was arriving to the apex with way too much brake pressure. So it meant that I was ah, losing the rear. And Scott yes. was like, get off the weight, get on the brakes, <laughs> get on the throttle to move the weight back. And, yeah. and so there was there was those bad habits. So I'd say that was a lot of it. I can't believe you get lots of moaning. I, like, I do. I do. Oh, very, very yeah. similar. Yeah, and yeah, I know yeah. that. Believable. I know those people that maybe don't believe in it, maybe haven't tried it enough. Yeah. Um, but if you look at people like James Baldwin, who is an incredible sports car driver, unfortunately out of a, out of a seat. But you've got that. You've got Basic Ollie, who's a sim racer, who's doing a similar thing yes. to me this year yeah, yeah, in yeah, Time yeah. Attack. And then you know there are lots and lots of sim racers who have done very, very well. And there are also real right real racers who do very well in sim racing. Mm. I think you can't really argue with I think it's part that. of the same broad brush of, of the sport. So I, I do wish it would get a bit more respect. But uh, look, I'm not pretending I'm anything like a, even a club racer standard. But like I, I used to play football a lot. And, you know, mm. I played like regimental football. I played core football. Uh, but that is nowhere near even like good Saturday league football. So there's like pub football generally on a Saturday. That's how it used to always be. Uh, sorry, pub football on a Sunday and like league football on a, a Saturday. And I would sometimes step up if I had a friend who needed someone for a Saturday league and you go, oh my God, I'm completely outclassed. 
But that doesn't like negate my experience in the pub leagues. The pub leagues are incredibly mm. competitive as well. But that doesn't translate into into racing. So a lot of uh, motorsport fans don't think it's accessible to to get into motorsport. But there's so many things. I mean, even from I would say like get the cheapest Formula One game from like 2019. And and what what's the next race? Imola. Okay, so get F1 2019. I'm not getting a commission from this. I should be. But get what when when was the first race that Imola came back? 2020. So get mm. F1 2020 where there's Imola and and. Honestly, my brother-in-laws followed this advice for, for Bahrain. Go and just do, with a joypad, on an old Xbox, and, and do Imola. And then when you watch the race, that Grand Prix will come to life for you because you will have driven around it, and you will understand, oh, man, you really have to... You, you, it's, it's not that hard a braking zone into turn one. You're really setting yourself up into turn two. The, the hairpin up the hill is absolutely brutal. Going into Aqua Minerali is a nightmare mm-hmm. because you're having to lift and brake to set yourself up for a hard braking zone, but you've got steering lock on, so you're going to lose it into Aqua Minerali. And then that, and then the chicane. Do they still use the chicane for for the F1 races yeah. at the end? Horrible, like a pointlessly horrible, torturous chicane. Just make that a straight. But your enjoyment of the F1 race will be a thousand percent increased just by doing that. Now take that into an F3 car on iRacing on a sim rig. And and that triples, it, you know, it, more yeah. than triples. It, you know, it really makes you uh, appreciate it. And I just think like motorsport fans just miss out because they think it's not accessible. But even to the point that just find your local rubbish indoor track and just pay 30 quid generally, 30 quid, 15 minute session, you'll be hooked. You'll go and do it. You go, oh, that's amazing. I wish I'd booked two sessions. And then the next time you'll book two sessions. So Callum, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted with you. But people yeah. just, motorsport fans just need to get involved in racing. In my eyes, it's, it's really quite simple. There is either sim racing is 0% correlated with real racing or, it's, or it, you know, it's somewhere between 0% and 100%, <laughs> Obviously, yeah. right? Like you ev- wouldn't, everything is that, to be fair, Callum. But you wouldn't say, like, if, if you've got Cristiano Ronaldo there and then you've got an esports FIFA player and he goes, oh, yeah, I do that in FIFA. You go, oh, come on. They, I mean, they're very, very different. And so that's towards the lower end. And then you also haven't got, you know, it's not 100%. So a lot of people say it's not 100%. Th- therefore, therefore, it's rubbish. Know, ignore yeah. it. Ignoring the fact that karting isn't like Formula One either. It's not 100%. You're doing it in the real life. You feel G-forces and it's similar, but it's it's not there. And so... I see sim racing as being 65 to 75% of what you can learn. You can't mm. learn everything there. You can learn a lot doing it. And I think it will give you a big advantage when you come to, to race in real life. Oh, you know, wow. in, in that first race, <laughs> I'm, I'm going down the straight. There's a massive toe in the catering. And so I've got, you know, a whole, a whole load behind me thinking, okay, they're going to be slipstreaming me up here. I need to be defending over to this side, but I don't want to give away too much on the entry. So I'm going to cover here. You know, all of that I've thought, at Le Mans in a GT car in mm. iRacing. Yeah. And so it's it comes easier the next time. Um, and same in that move at turn one. I did that because I've done that lots in an F3 car. I know it's different, but the principles are the same. So I'm probably not going to do what you've done because, um, well, I'm kind of old and scared now. And all my money goes to just making smaller humans slightly bigger progressively <laughs> over time. But I am heartened that you were able to have a really positive racing experience primarily from the skills you've learned from sim racing. Uh, Matt, we'll, we'll have to include that, that video that we shared uh, in yep. our WhatsApp uh, of, of, um, of Scott and, and Callum 
and their adventures from sim racing into the the Caterham series. It's such a good video. Like you must go into the show notes below, follow Callum and and subscribe to their channel and and watch this specific video. Is there going to be more videos of your Caterham adventures? Absolutely. So that one was on Driver 61 aimed at F1 audience. We also have the build, the full build video, not all 24 hours. It's cut down a bit um, mm. on the Overdrive channel. And so there's more coming there. So, mm. uh, but a lot of it is on socials as well. So follow us. We're at follow Overdrive on Instagram. Um, and so I'm posting a lot there. Uh, and then this weekend, actually, I'm racing at Croft and that is going to be live streamed. Um, and that'll be on the Caterham YouTube channel. So if you want to watch that, um, please, please do. Um, and I'll post when that's going to be so you can so you can watch it if you want okay. to. Okay, we'll share that link with us and we'll make sure that is the top link in our show notes. So go make sure you go and follow Callum live and like me, be just incredibly, incredibly jealous. And look, I know since the tire talk, the last half an hour has just been almost evangelical. But I, I am on a mission. I'm on a mission to say to people, just turn a wheel. I don't care if it's a joypad wheel. I don't care if it's a local go-kart track. Uh, you know, just just go and do something. Stick a helmet on, pull the visor down, real or virtual, and go racing. It will add to your F1 experience. Go and follow Callum. Go and follow Matt PT55 on Twitter. Go and follow Spanners Ready. I'm the best one. And make sure you tune in because on Tuesday we're going to have Uncle Joe joining us, and I believe I am going to be joining Tomo for the Imola Live Watch Along on YouTube. So I'll make sure that uh, we get a link in for that somewhere on the social media. That's right. I'm going to watch Formula One with people in real life. And I'm I'm actually nervous because I am not the person that maybe you think I am when the F1 racing is live. So I'm undecided as to whether I'm going to sit there all reserved and pretend I'm a normal human being or whether I'm going to let loose and be full spanners whilst I'm watching that, that, uh, that Imola race watch along live. Uh, but, uh, Follow at uh, Mist Apex F1 or join our Facebook group uh, by f- searching for Mist Apex Podcast on Facebook. And you can be a patron as well. Patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex. I'll see you on Tuesday with Joe or on Sunday for our Imola race review. Until then, work hard, be kind, and have fun. This was Mist Apex Podcast. <laughs>Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.